Amen. All right, you guys. So this morning we're doing something different. If you guys uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, you know about this. We are doing a panel discussion with a couple of different perspectives. And so the goal of this is we've been taking all of your questions the last several weeks we've been in this series. And so we've taken your questions. We've gotten some of the, some of the bigger ones that we think a lot of people are also asking. And then some of the more um, obscure ones that we just want to throw curveballs at some of these speakers. And we're going to ask them this morning. So um, please give your full attention to this. Um, there's going to be a lot of things we're throwing around, and I'll try to follow up, and we'll, we'll just have a great conversation with these speakers. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce them this morning. The first one that we have coming out here is Megan Fulcher. <laughs> walk slower, walk slower. <laughs> no, you're good. All right. Next, we have up Courtney Tate. All right, now let's go ahead and get Casey Wall up here. And last but not least, we have Dan Fulmer. And Riley Wesson. Riley Not just joking. <laughs> Riley, you didn't know? <laughs> Welcome back, Riley Wesson, guys. Riley's here. We love him. Um, we'll throw a couple questions at you, maybe. All right. Um, good morning, guys. You're going to just make sure your mics are working and we're good to go there. But um, so this is our panel, and they all have different ages and ranges of experiences with marriage. Some of them are married. Some of them, Casey, are not. And uh, so <laughs> neither am I. It's okay. It's okay. And so that's good, though. We have, we have some broad perspectives for you guys. And I can pick on Casey because he's my co-intern with the juniors. So it's all right. And then uh, Megan has been married for five years, right, Megan? Yeah. And then, Courtney, you've been married for? 13. <laughs> she doesn't know. Lost count. Yeah, Dave's number 13 years. Okay. And then, Dan, you've been married to your wife, Tracy, for? Longer than any of you have been alive. Longer than any of them have been alive. 18 okay. years. 18 years. Maybe 19 years. But maybe well, 19. Except Riley. Okay, great. All right. Well, hey, let's just go ahead um, I don't even know who Riley and, and jump in here with some questions. So the first one we're going to ask you guys is one that we got from a student. And the question is, how has dating in high school or college impacted your marriage positively or negatively? Oh, you're out of order. <laughs> okay. All right. So, sorry, a little anticlimactic there. All right. Uh, this was one that I picked because, uh, well, I thought it was a decent question. Um, I can't honestly look back at any of my dating relationships in high school or college and, uh, and say that they improved me as a person at all. Um, and uh, now I was not in high school, college was not a believer, so that may kind of uh, point to that response. But um, I'd say on the contrary, the majority of the relationships actually um, 
actually were destructive. And because uh, they changed my focus, uh, took my focus, take, took uh, relationship statuses that I had with friends and basically severed those relationships. Uh, lost in a lot of the, a lot of the cases, lost time with uh, family because I was so wrapped up in this relationship that I didn't spend time with family. Um, lost sight of, of really anything other than that relationship. And um, I, it's, uh, this is kind of a sideline, but I, in high school had a, and college, had a good number of friends. But each time I was in one of those relationships, you know, your focus was, was on this one person. And so you just start whittling away on that list of friends. And then when that relationship fails, the friends that were friends with her, well, you lose them too. And um, and so it, it was really uh, did, did not did not uh, make a big uh, good, a good impact on me. Um, let's see, e- even even some of the relationships that I look back at and think that was the best one, and not not because it was a physical relationship or anything like that. I, I, I my wife and I talked about this the other night. The, the girl that I dated in high school that I can say was the best relationship we had was more of a courting relationship where she and I would go hang out with her parents and we'd play board games with her parents. We'd go to movies with her brother and, and, and other family members. And, and it really felt like something. Now, it wasn't just a, now she's my girlfriend, she's my trophy or I'm her trophy or whatever you want to look at. And, but even that, um, it, it didn't, didn't have any impact on me uh, for my my marriage or my just moving forward as a person. Um, I, I kind of I don't want to go over time here, but you know we we talk about at at in high school or college. Well, I'll say high school because that's where you guys are all at. You talk about oh falling in love. You know oh I'm, I I fell in love. I fell in love with this girl. I fell in love with this guy. And um, you know marriage marriage is not just about falling in love. It's uh, it's about choosing to love someone through everything, and then, you know there's a reason that that in in uh, um, your marriage vows it's for better or worse, sicker sicker or whatever it is. I don't even remember them. We made it, yeah, sicker, richer or poor, richer or poor, or sick and health. Yeah, we made up our wedding vows. Ours weren't that, and, uh, <laughs> but um, you know there's a reason they say that is because there's more to it than just you know oh I fell in love. I like hanging out with them. And then it gets to the point where oh, I don't like hanging out with them anymore. And you go, okay, you go find a new one. You know, that's not how marriage was designed. That's not what God wants for you. And um, I, I, those of you that know my boys know that, that we, don't, we don't allow them. I, I hate saying it like that way. My boys don't date. And it's not that we don't allow them. It's just that we've had discussions with them. And I've told them, same thing I've told you. I got nothing personally out of it that made me a better person. There was nothing I could do in a labeled relationship that I couldn't do as friends. And uh, other than if you, if you chose to sin. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that's going to make you a better husband or a better wife until you're to that point in your life where, okay, I, that's my next step. You know, when you're 18, whatever, 17, 18, 19, in most cases, that's not your next step. 
you know, courting is, is kind of an old school word, but, but that's really more where, you, where you're at. You know, you meet, you meet the significant other and learn, learn about them, learn about their family, learn how you react to them. You're not, you know, we're not designed, God did not design us to go try somebody out. We're not like a pair of shoes, you know. And um, so I don't have any timer. You have a timer? Tell us how long. I don't want to run off. But um, now I lost my lost my th- train of thought because I was worried about time. But um, you know what makes a marriage strong is is putting God in the middle of it. And um, I, I'll be the first. I'm no no secret to anybody. I actually got married at 19. Significant age difference, too, which was a whole other question I wanted to talk about, but we didn't have time for that one. But um, was not ready. At that point, my, my answer was, I want to get out of the house. I want to go someplace other than living underneath the roof of my parents' home. And, and, and that was what I thought was the easiest way out and uh, obviously was, was not quite right. Uh, five years later, was divorced. And that relationship was not based on anything biblical. Um, and I like to, I like to blame some of it on the pastor who married us because he ultimately cheated on his wife and left the church and all sorts of things. I said, well, it was his fault. And jokingly, I don't actually blame him, but, but, uh, um, I was not ready. I can guarantee you the majority of you are not ready. Um, sometimes there's non-negotiables. So what are some non-negotiable red flags when dating that you can kind of identify when it comes to that? Um, so I like this question specifically because because it is specific. It says red flags, things that are going to stand out to you as, Christ, as Christ-believing people. I mean, like you are followers of Christ, and there are certain elements of a person or attributes of a person that you are going to notice first. And so I have just three but they're pretty broad. And so the first one is personal faith as opposed to just quote-unquote faith, discipline, and intent. And I'll expand on those. Um, so when I say personal faith as opposed to just faith, a personal faith is, is your own personal faith in Christ. It's not just doctrine, knowledge, or theology, or knowing of Scripture, or going on mission trips, or being involved in impact, or helping out in church or just being here on Sunday, Easter, and Christmas. It's not just being around your community. It's not having intense, intellectual, thoughtful discussions with them around all the topics that are in here. It's having a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Having a real story, a real transformation, a, a moment where your faith became your own. It didn't become, it went from your, maybe your parents' faith or your family's faith to your own faith. And you can notice that in a person. It's hard. It takes time. But that would be the first red flag I would look for. The second one is discipline. And this is broad. This is huge. But you can tell a lot about someone if they're disciplined. Not just spiritual discipline. That's hugely important and it affects every part of your life. But is your car clean? Do you care about the things that have value in your life? <laughs> like, it's like an audible like, yeah. noise over here. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's extreme. But I mean, like, 
That's, that's true. Do you make your bed in the morning? Do your parents, like, tell you to do that? Do they think it's important? They're not telling you to do it because it's not important. <laughs> you guys can disagree. It's okay. Yeah, I, I just have children. <laughs> I don't have children. <laughs> um, but so as far as discipline goes, like, the things in your life that you value, um, like your car or your room or your belongings or your clothes. My dad always used to tell me, he was like, how many, how many um, if you added up all the value of the money on your floor right now in terms of clothes, what would it be? Because that's what you're doing Like if you, when you don't clean your room. And I was like, you need to calm down. Like, <laughs> like that's, They're just clothes. And he was like, they're not just clothes. That's how you treat things. You don't walk on things that you treat that you have. And so you can tell a lot about someone if they're disciplined, if they're disciplined in their walk, if they're disciplined in their relationships. Do they go from one chaotic relationship to the next? And that doesn't just mean romantic relationships. It can mean friendships. Does chaos follow them wherever they go? Are they disciplined in their approach to resolving conflict? Do they know how to have conversations that are real and meaningful and not shallow? Do you guys know people like that? Or does that describe you? That's a hard thing to, to ask about yourself, but it, you need to ask it. Because part of the reason we're doing this is for y'all to grow. And if growth doesn't occur, then, then we have failed. The last one is intent. And you guys hear about, you, you guys probably hear that word a lot, intent. And whenever you're dating, your intent shouldn't be to just gain a really, really good friend to do, go do stuff with all the time that may have extra connections to you. It should, you, you can't draw from that person what only God can provide to you, and you can't rely on that person 100% of the time because you're going to deplete that person immediately, especially if you're relying on them to fill you in a way that only God can fill you. So if your intent to go into dating is not correct, that relationship will probably not work out or be destructive, as Dan said. That makes sense. One of the first things that you mentioned, Casey, was belief. And so then the, maybe one of the things that, that we had asked was to what extent then should a relationship, um, maybe this one, Courtney, I think you wanted to answer this one, to what extent should a relationship with a believer then go? You know, if we have faith as a non-negotiable, so then what, what extent do we have relationships with, mm -hmm. with those who don't believe? That's a really good question. Um, the Bible kind of throughout the Bible talks about um, being in faith with someone if you're going to be married to them. Um, and I'm going to read a couple of verses and then kind of talk about those a little bit. First um, Corinthians 739 says a woman and it's, it's kind of referencing if someone can remarry after they've lost a spouse. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Um, and then 2 Corinthians 6.14, my parents used to always say this to me when I was a teenager. I was kind of like, what does this mean? Do not be unequally yoked, I'm sure you all have all heard this, with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness. Um, and so that's kind of invoking this image of two oxen in a yoke. You can only really go one direction because you're tied to one another. And so what it's kind of saying is if someone doesn't share your faith, then they literally are not heading in the same direction as you. Um, and so when someone says, well, I don't understand the big deal, um, 
I guess my question would be, if, if Jesus is central to you, um, then that boyfriend or girlfriend is really not going to understand you because they do not understand something that is central to your life. Um, and so I, I think with that, um, that kind of leads to one of two res- or two responses that we can do with that, that if we do start to engage um, date or, or eventually marry a non-believer, um, two responses that can come from that is we just begin to be less transparent about our faith, that our faith should influence everything about us, that there's a wholeness to faith, that we see God in, in the movies that we watch, that it influences the decisions we make with money or our future, all of that. And that is literally something that you cannot share with that person. Even if in the beginning, beginning, if they say, no, I'm, I'm cool with that. Like, I respect your faith, and, and if, as long as you respect, you know, where I stand. And it starts out really good, but over time, if you begin to involve your faith in that relationship, it's going to become annoying or offensive to that person um, as long as you do that. And so what it means is that your faith has to go underground, um, and that's not a, a good option at all. And I, I think... The other response is that your love of Christ will just begin to cool. Like it will just begin to take a back seat to your life. Um, and it will move out of its central place in your life. And, and both of those options are just horrible options. Um, we don't want that to happen to anyone. And so th- those are really the dangers in um, even going down that road. So that means that when you meet someone... If, if, they, if you're attracted to them and they say, I'm, you know, I don't believe what you believe, then that should be kind of like the light switch turning off. That you just, if, if you go past that point where I know now where they stand and now I'm moving beyond that, I'm still kind of toying with the idea, you know, of maybe I can, you know, save them. Maybe they'll come to church with me. That ultimately that is heading down really, really dangerous territory. That there should just be something in us that just sees them as an absolute non-option at that point. So, have you? I was gonna just a quick follow up. Have you seen an example of how that's gone wrong in like relationships with maybe students here, just ones that you've just friends that you've had? I, I think the biggest deception we can fall into is when maybe that boyfriend or girlfriend says they don't believe that. But then they're, they're kind of open, you know, so they're willing to come with you to church. I mean, that's great, but I, I think there's a real danger to that in that they can, the ultimate goal is they want to be with you. So no mission dating. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Okay, um, what would you, I'm just going to follow, I mean, Megan, you can answer this too as far as like mission dating. Maybe some of these guys haven't heard that phrase before. What is, what is mission dating? You what? What Say is mission dating? I mean, anyone can answer this, but missionary I. Missionary dating? Mission dating. Oh, mission dating? Missionary I've heard dating. missionary dating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're trying to convert someone. I mean, we've all heard those stories. They, you know, there are a small percentage of people that say that, but I, I still think, I don't think that necessarily God God works in spite of us. God works through even our sin at times, but I don't think God condones that. I don't think we actively look at disobeying God because he doesn't owe us that, you know, so. 
All right, Megan, um, so how would you distinguish dating by the world standards and the Bibles? Because, you know, that, that's kind of, you know, the world, you know, says, you know, if it's a good person, they're a good person. You know, date them, and you guys can make each other better people. But how do you distinguish kind of that versus what the Bible says about, you know, equally yoked and things like that? Well, first off, world standards of dating, I like to think of um, it feels like test driving a car. You pick off a pretty car shiny new one you um, see if it makes you happy enough maybe you do it just for fun you maybe just want experience but then when the car makes you unhappy or you're bored of it you can just return it Um, and this can be the mindset of dating in the world Um, these are kind of just generalizations but world standards can be more selfish more temporary minded um, more self-justification and conflicts um, there can be less trust and stability and commitment in a relationship um, because it feels like you're testing it out to see if they meet your needs and fit where you are, but you don't need to change, but they need to come where you are and n- not work on your own flaws. And um, dating by the Bible standards can be a lot different because Christ says that our relationship with Christ is the most important thing and our, we are supposed to set our minds on Christ. So when we're in a relationship, Christ's relationship is still the most important thing in your life. And a boyfriend or girlfriend should only be encouraging and pushing you towards your walk with Christ. Um, and that, you know, goes to purity, which we'll talk about later. But you should be, as believers, you should be re- protecting and respecting one another. You know how in the world, when people see a Christian marriage, they see the representation of Christ in the church. Well, when they see two Christians dating, that should also look different. Um, Because they see the way that you treat each other, the level of commitment you have, uh, the respect you have for one another personally, their integrity, their purity, the way you handle conflict and the commitment you have in a conflict and trying to actually grow and change and and, um, grow and change yourself and not just change the other person to fit you. Um, And they should be pushing them in their relationship with Christ And then, of course, in the pursuit of being holy, in the pursuit of being sanctified in Christ, um, that couple's actions are going to look different, and not just in the physical, but also in uh, the words that they say, the way they treat each other, um, the way they interact with people of the opposite sex that is not their boyfriend. Um, And it's just going to look different from other couples. Um, And I will say that there's a lot of people that we're surrounded with, especially in our southern culture, Western culture, um, that if asked if they're Christian, of course they're going to say they're Christian, or maybe they go to church, but you don't necessarily see fruit in their lives. Um, You you all know who I'm talking about, and those type of relationships are going to look just like the world's, but if your ultimate goal is pursuing Christ, and that is the first and foremost important relationship, then um, it's just going to look different the way that um, you are encouraging each other in that relationship, you should be growing together towards that. Anybody else wanted to add on to that at all? Okay, great. Um, one of the things that, that is bound to happen with Christians, or not with anyone really, is sometimes those, those lines may get crossed. Not with, not with everyone, but there are going to be cases where lines can be crossed. And so if you are a Christian and um, you want to move forward in your relationship with Christ, but you have you maybe sinned sexually with, with a relationship, it's gone too far, you've crossed the line, um, how do you move forward after that might happen in whatever form that might might be? Uh, 
Well, first off, quit it. There you go. <laughs> no, no, <okay. laughs> no, I mean, you know, if you've, if you've, the, the question was asked, how do you move forward in your relationship with Christ if you've already sinned sexually? Quit it. You know, you, you, you may, it may mean ending the relationship. And Dave's, Dave's kind of talked on this in different, different uh, messages he's given. You know, in most cases, you will, it will mean ending the relationship. Um, you know, Pastor Gary uses this kind of weird, weird analogy, and I've used this in talking with the guys here uh, that's similar to this, that if your head's made of butter, don't sit next to the fire. You guys ever heard Gary say that? You know, if you can't handle the temptation, remove yourself from the temptation. You know, I think, I think that's the weirdest analogy because, I mean, why would you have a head made of butter? But, I mean, oh, okay, see, there is Martin Luther. So Martin Luther's the one with the weird Martin analogy. Luther, Gary again, again, why would... I didn't say it was his quote. I mean, he uses it. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Who has a head made of butter? But, <laughs> but you've got to get yourself away from the temptation, right? If, you, if, there's, if there's somebody that, that you can't keep your hands off of, I mean, let's, let's face it, that's kind of what we're talking about in all these questions, stay away from them. Or don't ever put yourself in a situation where it's you and that person alone. And, you know, we hear, we hear the word all the time in the church, but uh, r- repent. We've talked about it here, too. You can't just say to God, okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to quit doing this. And then just keep doing it. And go, oh, okay, God, I'm sorry, I did it again. Okay, I'm sorry, I did it again. You, you got it. It's got to be a heart change. We've all talked about this in, in our groups in, in the last couple of, couple of months that uh, you can't just say, I'm going to do it. You've got to and, and ask for forgiveness. You actually have to follow through. You've got to do some things on your own with it. But relying on God's strength is going to help you through that. You know, it's a, a, it sounds silly, and I don't even know the silly is the right word, but if you're ever tempted... Open the Bible. Read some scripture. Don't, don't do the, you know, the Bible roulette where you just open it and go, all right, God, speak to me, and you open it, and it's you know, Isaiah or something weird. You know, and you're like, uh, Leviticus, yeah. Uh, Song of Solomon. Uh. Huh? No. You know, if you're not sure, go on, go on Google and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. What's a Bible verse that will point me in the right direction? You know. But, but bottom line, the, the, the most important thing is you can be redeemed. It's, it's never to a point where God's going to say, oh, no, sorry. You've sinned sexually too many times. You're off my list. Open it up to, to the panel um, on, on that kind of topic is what are some tangible ways, you know, you said relying on God's strength and things like that. What are some other ways, including, you know, God's strength that, you know, people can set up kind of some safety barriers or kind of battle this, this temptation, what are some tangible ad- pieces of advice you'd give them to do? Anyone? This is my cue that I want to answer. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> Here's no, I, no I, I think that um, I think something on a, on a heart level that we have to be aware of, and, and this, this can be for guys and, and girls, is when we feel shame or condemnation about something, it can actually keep us entrenched in our sin. Um, that when we believe, like, I've screwed up, 
and I'm kind of like a, a failure as a Christian, I'm damaged goods, I'm defective now, that actually leads to us going further and further and further down that pit um, and, and thinking there's no hope for me, uh, I can't be restored. Um, and so I, I really just want to encourage there, you know, there is never a pit too deep that God's hand cannot reach. And so I really want to encourage you, find a leader, the importance of confession. I cannot, like, emphasize that more. The importance to con- confess, to not just try to battle sin within you, but to get it out, to ask for prayer, to talk to people. That has so much power in it, in, in and of itself. So that, that's kind of what I'd add to it. Casey, do you have one? Yeah. Like and, a sentence and I was really just going to echo what you Echo? Were, yeah. Echo. A Christian echo? echo? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, all, I'm cool with that. What you were going to say, specifically about community, because what you guys have here, like what this is, this is not normal. This is, this is very much a bubble. What you guys experience here, people don't understand. When you go to college, like this, is, and you explain like, oh, I grew up in church, and we had all these events, and we had all these fun things, unless you go to a, you know, a Christian university, like <coughs> Christian university, um, it's going to seem strange. But your community here is your biggest, it's one of your biggest sources of strength to fight against temptation and to confess mm-hmm. and to, to carry each other's burdens. And one of those questions you're going to face when you go out, like you said, um, to colleges that may be secular and maybe even Christian colleges is you're going to face this big cultural question is how do Christians relate to homosexuals? How do Christians deal with this big cultural yeah. question of, you know, there's this entire um, area of sexuality that seems to be, that it, that does contradict with scripture. And so then how do we face that? How do we relate and talk so about those things? There were a lot of questions on this topic. Um, this was the only one I thought that we could try and attempt to answer in three minutes or less. Um, so I'm going to give, I, I like giving points. I'm going to give you three points um, around this one, how to think about it when you're in, engaging and talking about and thinking about this specific topic of homosexuality. The first one is, is understanding of what sin is and how it affects everyone. Baseline, fundamental. Second one is God's view of sexuality, biblical intimacy in the family. And the third one is listen Listen well, and I'll expand on those. Um, and I'm going to read from Psalm 51, verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I'm like, it's pretty universal. It's pretty basic. You guys know it to be true in your own lives. You guys know that you are sinful. But it, it's a little bit more than that. We were conceived in sin. We were born into it. It, it affects us at our deepest core level. From within us, sin is produced whenever we follow the desires of our hearts and flesh, when we disobey God. Sin manifests in people in different ways. Some of us are angry. Some of us are lustful. Some of us are drug addicts. Some of us curse a lot. Some of us are sluggards. Some of us struggle with same-sex attraction. Some of us don't. Some of us struggle with lustful thoughts of the opposite sex, which is this, just as bad. Your version of sin and their version of sin, and, and I actually just did what I meant not to do. Your version of sin is not any different or original. You may think that homosexuality, and when you think about that topic, like it's gross, 
or it's it's something I don't want to talk about. But these are human beings created in the image of God, just like you. They have dignity, worth, and value simply because they were created in the image of God. So if you know someone who identifies as homosexual or doesn't even identify as such, and they struggle with same-sex attraction, and they say something to the tune of, uh, I, well, I was born that way, or I didn't choose it, or whatever tagline this culture has come up with to somewhat justify it, you can almost say, like, well, yeah, you were. But that means something different, because you know that we were all born innately sinful. And that is the way that that sin has produced in their lives. Their sin's not worse than yours. So don't degrade another human being in your speech um, on this topic because it's different from yours. Because your sin is more socially acceptable than their sin. When you do that, you dishonor an image bearer of God. That's huge. And people hear that. Other Christians hear that and they echo it. Kids hear it from their parents and they echo it. It perpetuates this, and I'm not going to say hate, but this disunity in the church where we should be unified the most because if they don't feel welcome like they can come here, then what's, like, that's bad. (laughs) That's not good. Um, The next one is God's view of sexuality. We've talked about it a lot lately, um, but you need to be able to explain this in a loving way. You need to be able to explain that that we were designed as male and female, and for this reason, a man will leave his family and be committed to his wife yeah. and be joined with his wife. And um, we, we've done some series on this, and Dave's done whole sermons on this, and that's one of the good things on that podcast that we mentioned earlier is that you can check out, you know, Dave goes into depth on this, mm-hmm. um, on this issue and really discusses it um, from a biblical perspective, kind of like cases get into in God's worldview and different things like that. And so you guys should definitely check that out um, if you still have questions on it or kind of want some more details. But we're going to shift gears just a little bit here um, to dealing with social media and relationships. And so how should we, um, you know, factor in social media and texting when it comes to dating? How should we consider those tools, resources, or maybe even um, things that can damage them? How how do we, you know, consider those into dating? Mm -hmm. It's a really good question. It kind of seems like a simple one, but... There's a lot to this question. Um, when Dave and I were dating, we pretty much had, like, phone, email, handwritten letters. What's that? I, I know. <laughs> um, talking to each other in person, talking on the phone, you know, and if we wanted to be really romantic, maybe the occasional smoke signal or something. But, um, <laughs> s- but now, like, communication is, I mean, you've got – You've got all of that, and you have Twitter, and you have Snapchat, and you have Skype, and you have FaceTime. There's just, I'm sure, like, there's so much I'm even leaving out. And so I think with that has increased the possibility for manipulation. It's increased the possibility for jealousies. It's increased the potential for um, just any sort of insecurity to arise. And so there's kind of two issues. Dave and I talked about this a long time and tried to kind of boil it down to two issues. One is the problem of immediacy. I'm going to talk about that. Um, And that's just a sense that with social media, with texting, we have this ability to immediately respond to someone without a lot of thought. That if, you know, I got mad at Dave, 
you know, I'd be like, call him on the phone. It's like voicemail. It's like, dang it, you know. And you'd have to wait. I mean, there was this thing called waiting. And now there isn't that. And this isn't just y'all. This is everybody. This affects me. This affects everybody. And so with that is we, we're able to immediately post something, immediately say something to someone. And it may be very reckless. It may be very impulsive. It may be very rash. And that just creates a lot of destruction. So there, there's this increased potential for that. So I think that the need for discipline and patience and waiting um, and being aware of your emotions. Like when you're angry, know that you're angry and don't do something. Hold off. Wait for that emotion to come down. Think about what you want to say before you text someone. Um, there's so much that can be done just in clarifying. You know, sometimes I'll read a text and be like, did they mean that? And I'm like, okay, I don't know if they meant that, but that's really rude if they meant it that way. And kind of clarified, like say, hey, I'm just checking. Is this what you meant? Is this what, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. Just clarifying, and then you may go, oh, wow, they totally did not mean it the way I initially took it. And I could have responded very hurtfully or very defensively to that. Um, the other thing is just the direct versus indirect communication. Um, you know, we used to lean very heavily on direct communication, and now the tables have turned where more and more and more we are relying on indirect communication. And, I mean, this is everyone. Like, if someone calls me on the phone, I'm like, now why are you doing that? Really, like, this could be so easy. You just have a question, just text it to me. I called you, know? you yesterday. Is that you trying to say something? <laughs> you, you, like, look at your phone like it's this she alien. Me. Like, yeah, someone's calling me. I called her because she ran a red light. <laughs> I saw it. But anyway. So. <laughs> are you busting me right now? <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so, um, but anyway. With that kind of indirect communication, we can kind of hide behind this in digital veil. And it really waters down the quality and the depth of a relationship. And so I really want to encourage, like, to seek out direct communication, especially if you're having a conflict with someone. Go meet with them in person. Talk to them. See their face, their tone, their facial expressions. All of that is important in working something out. And I think also, you know, for guys, I mean, this is, I think this is a very um, important point for men, is that men can really hide behind this to avoid risk. And so, you know, I'm, I'm raising a son, and he really likes to talk about football and basketball and just, you know, a lot of his answers to questions are, I don't know, I don't know. But I know still within that there is this tenderness, there is a desire for love, there is a desire for assurance, um, that he wants to be good at stuff, um, that he doesn't want to be embarrassed or humiliated. And, and so I really just want to talk to you guys and encourage you to not hide behind that digital veil, um, that we need men in this world, we need men in the church that are willing to do things afraid. 
Um, and, and I'm not talking about right now. I'm not like saying, guys, if you're a freshman or sophomore, you know, go out and ask that girl out. I'm talking about one day, one day, when you marry, when you pursue a woman, um, that if you have like knees that are like knocking together and hands that are shaking and sweaty palms and you got like a little bit of sweat going down, like that is okay. Like that is good for your soul. And that's good for your heart. <laughs> and we need that. We need that. Um, and so I want you to be okay to trust God in that area and to move forward in that area. And girls, I think, like, if we want them to become men, we have to allow them the chance to be one. And that means don't do the job for them. That means if you see them struggling, don't ask them out. Don't do that. Allow them to grow. There is something in a man that needs to pursue, needs to grow in this area to feel like the man that God called him to be. And we cannot rob them of that. So, sorry, that was my long answer. One, what, one of the things, one of the other questions we got from students, when, kind of going back to thinking about dating, not necessarily non-believers, but um, it, what about guys or girls that follow Christ, um, why isn't it okay to be physical if, you know, you're in a relationship and you're both believers? That's one of the questions one of our students ask. So why should that be an issue if, you know, they're both Christians? Right. Uh, Well, first reason, God says so. Um, So God does not say, hold off until you find another Christian, or if you know you're both getting married, then you can do whatever you want, because eventually you're going to get married. No, God calls us to be pure and holy and blameless and striving to be like Christ. Um, and he designed intimacy to be within marriage. Um, so whenever you're allowing yourself to be intimate and giving that part of yourself outside of marriage, it goes against what God has designed, what he's called us for, and it can be harmful to us. Uh, but it really comes down to obedience because if you are pursuing a relationship with Christ, then your actions and the response that you have in anything should be in faith and in obedience out of your love for him. Um, and God has called us to this standard for a reason, um, and we should respect that because that rule is to protect us um, because any relationship, however big or small, um, gives a part of your heart to that person, and so you should protect, protect yourself, um, and it, even more so if you get physical. Um, and then also as believers, uh, we are to be representing Christ to the world, so being a Christian should make you stand out because people watch and notice your actions. So if you're doing the same things that a non-Christian couple are doing, what makes you any different than a non-believer? Um, the way we live as individuals and in relationships should be evident to the people that you are different and you're a follower of Christ. So if you're both believers, that's even more reason to protect yourself, to protect each other's purity, integrity, and holiness. Um, not only does it protect yourself, but people will see Christ through that and flat out, God says so, so we should respect that. Um, there's a verse, First Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not like the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. So it really comes down to holiness and purity in your relationship with God. It's not about hold off until there's a ring. It's about the if-then. If you have a relationship with God, if you're pursuing that, if you're pursuing Christ, then 
your actions are going to reflect that. And the things in the, that you do, the choices that you make, should be in response um, to growing in your relationship with Christ. Thanks, Megan. Um, so you're, so we talked about, you know, dating, but now the question is kind of marriage now. So then what is kind of a, an age or an early, like how early is, not actually age, but how early is too early for marriage once you've kind of maybe dated someone, feel like you're ready to take that next step? How, how early is too early for that? Dan? That's not my question. Nope. My question. Casey, go ahead. <laughs> um. <laughs> Are you okay? He went out of order. I know. I'm, uh, yeah, it's fine. It's good. Um, so I wouldn't phrase this question this way. Um, it's a good question, but I would I, I, I would say a better way of thinking about it would be instead of how early is too early, d- don't think of age as your threshold to cross uh, in order to do something, in order to be able or allowed or sufficient to do X, Y, Z. Um, instead, think about it if you're properly equipped um, for the covenant you're making with your spouse and before God. Because if you think about it in terms of if you are properly equipped, you're going to know if you're deficient or not. And only you know that. I mean, like, your community can surely point out, like, oh, like, you need to work on your anger issue. Or, you know, you should probably not lie as much as you lie. Or you need to be more disciplined in the in the reading of the word. Or you need to learn how to, how to lead better. And that's w- one thing that your community can do. And I'm actually going to go back to the some of the things I talked about before would be a, your personal faith. If you don't have a personal faith or your own faith, if you don't have discipline in all the areas, and if you don't have the correct intent for marriage. So instead of saying, oh, like, well, I'm 18 now, and I'm considered a legal adult, I can go get married. Well, yeah, you could. But, but are you equipped for what that means? And I have seen people, and I meet people younger than me, and I'm 28, um, I've seen people 18 get married, people I know, and I've seen people, I've seen those marriages, I've seen some of those marriages do well, I've seen some of those marriages not do well, and it's sad, the devastation that occurs, the emotional trauma, the spiritual trauma that occurs that will forever affect how you view marriage, and I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just saying that it's a it's when you're dealing with something as intimate as marriage, you need to be properly equipped. Backing up a little bit, back to dating. Um, when you're looking at, you know, the pressures and things of the world um, before marriage, how, how, how do we kind of avoid those um, and kind of look, look past those or deal with them, maybe? Wow, now that one is my question. So, um, oh, and I just clicked on my... Maybe we should go on to the next one. I'm kidding. Um, a question you need to ask yourself in that is so you've got pressures of the world. You've got friends that are saying to you, well, you two should go out because you're such a cute couple. Anybody hear that? Or people start shipping you, you know, or, you know, putting your names together and all that no st- stupid, <laughs> stupid stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, relationshipping. Oh. You just talk to your group. They'll tell you about it. Don't ask me. <laughs> but... But, you know, the, the, the question you have to ask yourself is, who has, who has your best interest in mind? Is it, is it my friends that think I'd make a cute, you know, we'd make a cute couple? Or, or is it the world? You know, the world tells you how great, or I mean, that is, is it your friends in the world or is it God? The world tells you how great dating is. 
but they never really come back and go, well, you know, you guys should be in a relationship. But, you know, if that relationship fails, here's what's going to happen. And they give you a list. Nobody tells you that. They want you to all think about all the happy stuff, you know. I don't know, Dan, if you ever watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy. Dating does not look good to me. <laughs> no, I don't watch it. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I don't want, we, don't, we don't have television in my home. Okay. I'm kidding, we do. Uh, <laughs> we make all our own clothes, too. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, the world tells you everything's going to be cool, everything's going to be great. But I guarantee you, and I'm sure a lot of you have experienced this, dating relationship is going to fail. And there's going to be drama. And guys, it's not always the girls that cause the drama. Guys cause a lot of drama, too. I could point fingers at plenty of the guys in this room, but I won't. I won't, and I won't mention any names. But (laughs) I was one of them. I mean, I was, was, yeah, drama was bad. But bottom line is God's got a plan for each of you. And his biblical plan never included dating. And you think, if you actually think about the logistics of dating, it really probably got the most popular when um, a backseat of a car was invented. I mean, I'm serious. It's, you, know, you, think, you think about it. When people, were, they'd go out in the car, they'd go to a movie, or they'd go or to a drive-in, this back in 50s, 40s, whatever, and they'd do bad things. You know? I'm sorry, you, you just think about it. Don't think too hard about it, but that's, you know. <laughs> no, nowhere. You, I think little, little, little House on the Prairie before all of your time, but, but it's, you know, it was, it was back to my earlier statement. It was courting. It was courting. It wasn't, it wasn't go out with a girl or go out with a guy and we're going to go do things by the two of us. We're going to do whatever we want where there's no one else around. That's not what the design was. You know, you look at biblical times, nowhere does it say, and the two went off in the woods. <laughs> it doesn't. They didn't have movie theaters back then, so, you know. The two went off to the camel races. I don't know, you know. <laughs> you know, there's nothing like that. <laughs> but, you know, the, the world will tell you today that, that they know better than God's plan. So, yeah, follow, follow your heart. Do what makes you feel good. Do what makes you happy. Okay, look at the, not statistics, but look at the results of that. Teen pregnancy, abortion, divorce, all sorts of mean, nasty, ugly stuff, you know. And I'm not saying that all relationships lead to that. I'm not saying having a relationship is wrong. But when a relationship gets to the point that there's temptations, then that temptation causes that relationship to no longer be a godly relationship because you're focusing on those temptations. And so think about it this way. I, I, I touched base on this in my earlier answer. You've got a really good friend you love hanging out with, and you go to movies, you go out to dinner, you go to the lake, things like that. And then one day you go, you know what? I'm going to start calling you my girlfriend, or I'm going to start calling you my boyfriend. And then what happens? <laughs> I can't go hang out with that friend who's also a girl or who's also a guy, depending on what side of the relationship you're on, because now my girlfriend or boyfriend is going to get jealous, is going to feel bad, is going to be mad, and then, you know, the whole shipping thing starts to fall apart. 
one of the pressures that, that come with, with dating, I think, is often, you know, physical attraction. Is the person you're dating physically attractive? Or have you, how do you compare their attraction or whatever? So then how should physical attraction factor in or matter in relationships? I just want to give a shout-out to your segues. They're just, yeah, can we just say nice. what yeah, a wonderful nice. job Anthony has done in segueing? This is why he needs to have his own view show one day. Thank you. <laughs> Um, Tune in next week where we talk to married couples here at the Outback. Is that next week? <laughs> yeah, it is yeah, next yeah, week. yeah. So I'll be back for one it's more episode. Super excited. Tune in. Um, so how does it matter, Courtney? Well, it is important, and I think my question would just be, how does that come about? Like the world says, there's one way that that comes about: that you find someone attractive. You get to know them, and you either find their character and their personality equally attractive or not, and that decides whether or not you pursue that person further. But I think there's other ways for physical attraction to develop. Um, and I, I think that, you know, Tim Keller, and I, I almost didn't want to quote him because I feel like Dave quotes Tim Keller all the time. You have to. But term. we're married, so I'm going to quote him. It's actually Gary DeSalvo who yeah. said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he talks about this idea of comprehensive attraction, which is that you're, you're equally attracted to someone's character and spirit. Um, so if they have the fruit of joy or peace or contentment from the gospel, that we should find that beautiful, that that should be beautiful to us. And... Um, that we don't really emphasize friendship, that we go into a room and we go, okay, who's the most attractive? And then I'm going to go gravitate towards those people and decide whether or not I like one of them. But we don't go into a room and say, well, who could I be friends with? Who do I get along with? Who do I connect with? And then out of that maybe develops physical attraction. You really begin to find yourself drawn to someone in, in more ways than friendship. Um, and so I think, you know, we have this view that attraction diminishes over time. I think that attraction should absolutely grow as time goes on um, if we start with something deeper than just the physical. Um, when I married Dave, I mean, I kind of saw that at the time that that was like the pinnacle of just attraction and love and, and you're just making this decision to spend the rest of your life. And I look back on that now and I go, that it just seems so shallow how I loved him then compared to now. I mean, Dave is still Aww. hot and everything. <laughs> but I, I just think, you know, when you're attracted to someone's character and you respect them, like respecting someone is super attractive. And so I really don't want you guys marrying someone that's got the looks or the image or the success or the money, and then you realize... If I take all that away, I'm not drawn to their character at all. And, and I think it's important to differentiate between character and personality. You know, someone can be funny, flirtatious, charming, and have zero character. And so when I talk to girls a lot and I say, well, what do you like about them? Usually I'll hear something like that, like, oh, they just make me laugh. They're just so funny. And I'm like, okay, but, you know, what's their character like? Do you respect them? You know, are they an honorable guy? And, and that, I'm, I'm just going to say, like, that is what I love about my husband the most, is how respectful he is. And so that is a 
a huge issue, um, and we should find that beautiful. So well, I hope that answers. Yeah, and, and I think you mentioned, you know, physical attraction does play a factor, and but, you know, there's important things to kind of consider along with that. So, but when there is, you know, physical attraction there, and even just attraction to the personality, there's maybe going to be an area for, for sinning physically. So then what, how do you know if you are physically sinning in a relationship? Okay, fun question. Um, so a lot of people like to idle in gray areas and think that if they're not actually having sex, then they're not sinning. Uh, but we know the world doesn't work in black and white. Um, and we know there's a lot of other things that are considered sin. Um, but I always like to think about what Jesus says, when if you're thinking about another person lustfully, then you're committing adultery. So if something if an action turns into lust, that's sin. If something becomes more important to you than God, that's sin. If anything before marriage is se- that you do is sexual in nature, that's sin, even if it doesn't technically have the word sex in it. But I also, I always like to say, if you can't tell your mom everything that you did, it's probably sin, which is kind of extreme sounding. But if there's ever a question or doubt in your mind whether you should or shouldn't do something in a relationship— then you probably shouldn't do it because that's probably the Holy Spirit convicting you. And that's why it's important to have accountability and have friends who will straight up ask you for details because if you can't tell your best friend what you did, then again, that was probably sin. Um, that's my short answer. Great. Anyone else have any? That's all we have, um, it, unless you guys have anything else to add, but I think we're just out of time. So um, give it up for our panel this morning. Thank you, guys. Um, Like I mentioned, we're going to have another panel next week uh, with a few couples that have been married um, for parents. Good chunk of time. they got kids. They've got things to say, and so it'll be a different perspective. So come back next Sunday for that, and then we hope you guys have a good rest of your spring break. We'll see you Wednesday. They're not going to be prepared. It's all off the cuff. (laughs) I think they're all uncensored. Uncensored.